Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Monday, the 3rd of February. This is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. If perchance you missed the first hour, you can always go back and pick that up as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, I'm also posting a must-read Monday, which is my way of um, uh, of speaking into or about lots of things that there's just not time to talk about here on the show. So you can pick that up later at my ministry website, ReconnectWithCarmen.com. Um, Okay, so I want to touch on one item before we jump into our conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. She and I are going to talk about um, your personality. So, you know, we're talking about you today, so prepare for that. Um, uh, Hopefully she's not going to, like, give me some sort of personality diagnosis over the air, but she may, and that could be interesting. Um, All right, so the World Health Organization has declared the coronavirus a public health emergency You have heard in the news at the top of the hour that the United States is evacuating U.S. citizens from the uh, most hotly affected region, although this is now, I think, on the verge. I think we're using the word pandemic. That is language the World Health Organization is um, considering the threat that this is a pandemic. And so we have a growing number of cases here in the United States and around the world. The first person to um, succumb to the coronavirus outside of China Um, has died in the Philippines. And so um, I think that you are going to see more and more news related to this, and rightly so. Um, I think that I want to remind everybody that uh, Christians don't panic in, in response to the reality that we live in a fallen world and that in that fallen world there is disease, and that as we live in a world that is highly connected um, and where there's freedom of travel, and where relationships are really robust, um, you know, across all kinds of groups of people, um, diseases spread. And so that's essentially what's happening. And from a Christian worldview, we need to acknowledge that um, all of creation fell with us in the fall. And so disease and even death are the result of that. Now, we are also ambassadors of the one who is not only the creator who knit our bodies together, um, and and by whom we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we are also representatives of the one who is the great physician. And so we can talk about healing, and we can advocate for, um, you know, for science and technology and medicine to be brought to bear in these conversations. Um, I think that my encouragement today is let's not be the people who provoke uh, or foment panic. Let's be people who are sober. Let's be people who recognize um, the need to be careful and cognizant, but let's not be people who participate in, nor certainly um, uh, advance some of the some of the fear and the xenophobia that uh, naturally comes when we identify a particular place in the world with an identifiable group of people, and we suggest that it's because of them that we are experiencing this. No, that's that's uh, the reality. Is we're all in this. All 
all of us are in this together as human beings living living in a fallen creation um, created by God to be good and and certainly redeemed by him in Jesus Christ. So let's just let let's allow this to be a redemptive opportunity. All right, I've got Linda Mental waiting in the wings. Uh, you can find her at drlindamental.com. You can also hear her right here on the Faith Radio Network on the Dr. Linda Mental show. So we'll be right back. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm alright song. Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. This is actually a favorite segment of many of our listeners. I, I hear a lot of feedback after Linda and I talk, um, particularly when Linda, you know, uh, helps me understand myself better. So, Linda, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be here. And I just, I got to give you a warning, Carmen. I'm not allowed to diagnose with my uh, licenses over the air of media personality. That's one of Thank the ethical God. things. Yeah. <laughs> we can get some insight, but we can't really make the diagnoses. That's so good. Thank God. Yeah. I, feel, I feel so much better already. <laughs> I know. I heard you being worried about that. I thought, well, I've got my ideas, but I won't there share you them go. publicly. Okay, so person personality tests. Um, yeah. The enne- the enneagram uh, seems to be one that people are talking a lot about. I remember, um, uh, you know, like Myers Briggs. I have taken I have taken any number of personality <laughs> tests related to leadership over over the years. Let's talk about yeah. personality tests um, and what they're how they're useful, and then maybe some of their weaknesses. Well, some of them, it's interesting. We've all done, probably a lot of people listening have done the Myers-Briggs. You know, I remember doing it. We just did it actually a couple, I think about a year ago in our organization to see how we could work better with teams. We did the DISC. Um, I came out ruler on that one. I remember we did the Myers-Briggs. I was an ENFJ. Um, and I and I actually did this um, Enneagram thing that uh, has been so popular just to see what it was and to see how I came out. And I came out the a former on that one. So I, I was like, okay, you know, first of all, I'm a, I'm a scientist. I have a PhD. So I look at all of this from a, uh, a way that psychometrics are put together and tests are put together. And there's a lot of skepticism about these tests really being reliable and valid, even though a lot of people have done it. So I think you have to go into these tests thinking, yeah, they're a little bit of pseudoscience. They're a little bit of fun. They kind of hit on some things that you go, oh, yeah, that's me. Um, but I don't know that I would, you know, place my life goals based on one of those tests and how they come out. So let's talk about, um, uh, you know, personality tests can be great to maybe help us identify some of our competencies or our strengths. Um, when when I'm in a relationship with somebody else, though, of any of any variety, particularly a maybe a working relationship, relying too heavily on um, on a personality test uh, can lead me to, frankly, not get to know that person as an individual. Um, you know, I can yeah. just relegate them to the, you know, to to whatever I think, you know, whatever the numbers on Enneagram are. And I can be like, oh, well, she's a four. I'm not going to communicate with her because I'm a, you know, whatever I am. Which I clearly don't know because, you know, that's not one of the things I've gotten into. So um, so which maybe tells you something about me already that I haven't taken the Enneagram. All right. So um, just well, tell me. Just... Did it. 
I only did it because you sent me something. Your producer sent me something. I only did it. Say something about oh, that. Oh, sure. Though. Blame me okay. now. Well, I, you know, you sent me this article. But listen, this is what happened, Paul. We'll put him in the conversation here a little bit. <laughs> Good. I, um, my husband said, I think our daughter took that. And so my daughter, strong Christian, millennial, in her 20s, um, you know, she. I called her. And I said, you know, did you take this test? She goes, yeah, but this article that that uh, Mr. Perot sent you has me a little bit wondering because it talks a little bit about where maybe the spiritual roots come. And I know that her roommate has a Christian book on it. And, and then she was looking at all the spiritual roots. And um, it, it was interesting. She goes, oh, I see a pentagram now in the, you know, the diagram. <laughs> and I said, well, Katie, where did you where did you first take this? And she said, actually, I was in a small group in my church and we all had it. We all had it as a conversation. And so I asked her about it. I said, so what was the point of taking that? She said, well, I think the way it was used, she said, first of all, my generation, millennials love to connect over something. We're always looking for purpose. We're always looking for ways to connect. And this seemed to be a good connection tool that it also brought some self-awareness to us. And so we, we launched into this great conversation about, you know, self-awareness to what end. And that's kind of the message here is, you know, if the end goal is to get a little bit of information about yourself, but then recognize who you are in Christ and maybe where you have to work on yourself, I don't think that's a bad thing ever. I, I was thinking about this, you know, Jesus had 12 disciples and they were very different personalities from the little bit we can see in the Bible. And they didn't have personality testing, I don't think, going on then. And they still had to figure out ways to get around and get along. So I, I think your point, it's a long, I'm just making a long circle to your point, Carmen, that sometimes these tests can be can create silos in workplaces. I, I remember when we did the Myers-Briggs, all the extroverts, and I'm one of those, I'm off the chart on the extrovert scale, surprise, surprise. Um, but all the extroverts were sitting there looking at the introverts and going, yeah. Uh huh. That's why we have trouble working with those people, you know. So it can be kind of a um, way of categorizing people, and rather than creating an awareness in yourself to what do I have to do to accommodate other people, and more importantly, what parts of my personality are not in line with Scripture, and what do I do about those pieces? Yeah. So I think there's two prongs to this. No matter what, um, you know, no matter what your Myers Briggs, your Enneagram, your DISC says. I think the reality um, that those tests reveal is that we all need each other. I mean, in order for, you know, somebody who's a high D like myself on disc, you know, to to actually function in an organization, I need all those other people to right. function at their very best and do the things that they are God uniquely designed um, and created them to do and be. And none of us are going to use our... Um, uh, you know, our Enneagram number or our DISC assessment, none of us are going to use those things as an excuse to sin. And so yeah. you know, just right, just because um, I'm I'm prone to be a driver does not mean I'm allowed to run over people. Right. And and that's supposed to be I'm a D2 in that test. Um, and so that's supposed to be then you need other people on your team who are more sensitive to other parts of that test. And that that's the whole idea is it's working together, becoming like a body, like the body of Christ, working Amen. together. And looking at each other's things. You know, here's what I was thinking of when you when you said that. I, I've done marital therapy for 20 plus years. And um, I wrote a book a long time ago called I Married You and Not Your Family and Nine Other Myths of, of Marriage because you always marry the family. And so I, one of the myths is people walk into my office and say, you know what? It's who I am. She knew who I was when she married me. 
This is, you know, just take it or leave it. And I'm thinking, I look at people and I go, okay, this, these are people who say they're Christians. And I go, so interesting because the gospel is all about change and it's all about transformation. So now you're sitting here saying to me, this is who I am, deal with it. I can't change. I'm thinking that is so against what the whole purpose and point of Christianity is, which is to change us from the inside out with the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, that we are always capable of change with God's power in us. So, you know, same with these tests, you know, just because you find out that you're a certain way, I hope you use that to say, how does that line up with scripture and what God is calling me and who God is calling me to be? And what do I need to do with the power of the Holy Spirit in me to make those changes? All right, we're going to talk more about that um, in just a moment. I've got Dr. Linda Mental. We're going to pivot from our personalities to what we do when we're ready to make a change. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. You can also find here her here on the Faith Radio Network at the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Um, Linda, you have a piece posted at your website entitled, Are You Ready to Make a Change? So what do we do if we know it's time to make a change? Yeah, first I got to tell you, I love that music you just played because I used to sing in a multicultural choir. I probably know all those songs. <laughs> so that was great. Um, okay, so first things, you know, we're talking about, okay, maybe you get a little bit of self-aware and you get some feedback from people, whether it's a test or a personality test or somebody in your life. And you think, you know, I've got to do something. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, I've got to lose that extra weight. I've got to start taking my insulin on a regular basis. I'm about to go in and teach medical students about how to help patients do that. Uh, what 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 is really needed for people to make a change? And there's two really important factors. And I teach students always ask people on a scale from one to ten where they fall on these two factors. The first one is how important is that change to you? So a lot of people will say if they say you know it's really not that important, but my wife is bugging me about this then most likely, Carmen, they're just not going to change. But if they say, if they say, you know, I, it's really important, I've got to start taking that diabetes medication or I'm just going to have lots and lots of health problems. So it's really, really important. The second part, though, is on a scale from one to 10, how confident are you that you can make the change? So a lot of people will come in and, and talk to me and say, you know, I need to start, you know, help um, taking care of my anger better. I need to be kinder to my kids. I need to, you know, whatever it is. But they really don't have the confidence to know how to do it. So it's two parts to making a change. First, you got to determine how important. And if it's not that important, it's a waste of your time because you're probably not going to do it because we don't do things that are unimportant to us. Second thing is you've got to have confidence. And to get confidence, you might have to get some help from somebody. But you and I would say that our biggest confidence to make a change would be through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So let's, uh, let's, let's play the game out a little bit here. Um, let's assume there's something that I know I need to change. Um, and I'm, I'm aware of it. It's not just that other people are concerned about it. I'm concerned about it. So I don't know, let me put my concern level at a at an eight, 
Okay. Um, and let me put my confidence level. See, this is like the mixed bag, right? Because mm-hmm. it's something that I have failed to change a number of times, right. that that weighs against me in terms of my confidence. But in terms of my confidence in sort of, you know, God's ability to uh, to do it and to help me do it and to and and therefore the th- and, and I already know the things that would be necessary to make it happen. Like I have high confidence in all of those things, mm-hmm. but because of past failures in dealing with this same thing, I'm you know I would say my confidence is kind of low because I failed. So then, what we have to do is we have to look at okay, what are the barriers to you being successful? So it's not your faith in God. It's not that you you know and believe that the power of the Holy Spirit in you is capable of transforming you because that's the promise. That's what God says. He is there as a helper to help us, empower us. So what's getting in your way? And that's really where the rubber meets the road for most people. There are barriers. So I'll give you a really, a really, this is a really blatant example, but um, working with a patient who really wanted to stop drinking. And, you know, this was, she wanted to, she was, you know, she really thought she knew it was important and she kept failing. And when I started to talk to her about what were some of the barriers, she lived right in back of an ABC liquor store. So every mm. time she looked out her window, window, she saw this alcohol store. And every time she saw it, her brain, because what, what we know about addiction and craving, her brain remembered, and that was one of the places where she'd buy liquor, and so she would instantly crave. And so as crazy as it sounds, we talked about her moving to a different location if she was really going to be successful. Now, that's a dramatic change, and most people can't do that. But there are triggers and barriers that get in your way. You get triggered by something, and you don't know how to handle it differently. If you're trying to lose weight, and you go to the mall, and you smell those Cinnabons that are you know, so fragrant in the mall— Uh, it's going to be a trigger for you to overeat, even though you're determined and you know you can do this. So one of the strategies is maybe during a time when you're trying to lose, don't go to the mall with the Cinnabon, go to a different shopping center. So we look at ways to overcome the barriers and help people um, deal with whatever it is that trips them up so they can work on those issues, substitute something else, and then be much more successful. All right. I like the list. Um, I think that for those of us um, for whom one of those barriers is just simple laziness, <laughs> I, I do find that like planning it and putting it on the calendar, whatever it is, whatever the positive action step is, um, and then involving another person. So it's yeah, not just me failing, right? It's not just me failing to show up. It's that yeah. I am going to not, I'm going to fail to show up for someone else. So accountability well, for me would be a big one. Yeah. And and that gets really back to the importance because I don't think laziness is just laziness because who wants to live their life failing all the time? I mean, but it has to be really important to you. So, you know, the one that comes to mind for me is exercise. You know, I can say that I really need to do it and I can get an accountability person. I would have to in order to get up and do it early in the morning. I just don't want to. (laughs) <laughs> the reality is I'm not getting up. My my OBGYN said to me, come on, let's go to a class at 4.30 in the morning before our day starts. And I just looked at her like, okay, good for you. You go for it. I'm not doing it. You know, That's even so though good. I would have had an accountability partner, I just didn't want to. So I do think when you're when you're using terms like, ah, oh, it's lazy, I don't really want to. It's really, is it that important to you? Because we tend hmm. to do things that are really, really important to us. And sometimes we have to motivate that importance. So the one I'm thinking of is that people really want to read their Bible more and they want to spend more time in prayer. 
you have to get to a, a point where somehow that importance, where you see the impact of that on your everyday life, you start to talk about the positive benefits of doing that. When people change and they're contemplating a change, the positives have to outweigh the negatives. And one of the things that we we sometimes don't give give attention to is sometimes the negatives are the reasons we're staying with something because we actually get maybe some benefit out of not doing something or we enjoy not doing something more than we enjoy doing it. So you have to think about that as well. So good. It's always so helpful. You always give us so much to think about. Um, so Dr. Linda Mental, thank you so much for joining us again today. You guys can go and read more about what we've been talking about today and lots of other great resources at drlindamental.com. We'll be right back. Indeed, as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we also keep an eye on what is happening in other places around the world. So next up, Dr. David Aikman, he and I will unpack further the conversation that uh, John Stone Street just started on Breakpoint. So Dr. Aikman and I will talk more about the proposed peace plan uh, in Israel with the Palestinians. We'll also talk a little bit about the coronavirus and, of course, Brexit, because after all, it technically took place over the weekend. That's all up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. This is Max Lucado. Heroes in the Bible came from all walks of life, rulers and servants, teachers, doctors, male, female, single and married. Yet one common denominator united them. They built their lives on the promises of God. Noah believed in rain before rain was a word. Joshua led two million people into enemy territory. One writer went so far as to call such saints heirs of the promise. As God prepared the Israelites to face a new land, he made a promise to them. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. God's promises are unbreakable. Our hope is unshakable. This is Max Locato. My name is Bond, James Bond. Dr. David Aikman is back, editor of Godspeed Magazine. Good morning slash afternoon, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you today? I, I am well. I am well. Spring has uh, sprung early, but it it seems to have arrived uh, where I live, and so it's a oh, it's good. a beautiful it's a beautiful morning. Lovely. That's great. Well, I okay. Continues that. Well, thank you. From um from your perch in Northern Ireland, as you look uh, west, is there? I think you look west. Is that correct? If you were to look toward England, um, is there smoke right. rising, or did it fall off? Uh, I guess you look east. Did it fall off into the ocean at Brexit? I mean, you know, at the uh, what happened? No, nothing happened. Um, we departed from the EU with speeches and celebrations in Parliament Square on Friday night. Um, Boris Johnson is making a sort of pugnacious speech in Europe today. Um, nothing drastic has happened. Uh, so I think there are going to be some very irritable negotiations between the British and the EU, and it'll, it will seem a bit like we're, we're back with Luke, Theresa May. 
But I think eventually there will be a pullout and maybe even a, a no-deal lead. But I don't think it's going to flat any particular sales around here. Okay, so on the uh, on the subject of uh, contentious negotiations, let's talk about this proposed peace plan between Israel and uh, and and the Palestinians. Um, why don't you just walk us through some of the key points, and uh, and then we can, you know, it, it, it's probably foolish for either of us to be terribly predictive, but you and I can at least talk about what our expectations are. Well. I was uh, closely involved as an observer of what were called the Oslo Peace Process, Peace Accords back in the 1990s. In fact, I did a BBC documentary on it. And so I'm very familiar with what the sticking points are. But the fundamental problem for the Palestinians who have rejected this whole peace deal outright is that their concept of national identity is predicated on a denial of national identity for the Jews. So their national identity is a lose-lose situation for Israel. And I think that they are going to object to many of the useful parts of this agreement that has been sketched out by Trump and Netanyahu. And as um, former Foreign Minister Moshe Dayan said, um, no, Abba Ibn, I'm sorry, he said, the Palestinians never lose opportunity to lose an opportunity. And I think there are opportunities for them financially, really to make them serious business money, working for the whole community. But unfortunately, I think the limitations of their national ideology is going to make it very difficult for them to, to deceive. Okay, so as we um, as we consider some of the details or points in terms of borders or the city of Jerusalem or settlements or security or um, or even refugees, you know, the reality is it doesn't it doesn't matter if one party to the conversation continues to say there can be no peace if the other side still exists. And that's that's, that's right. really what we're saying. The Palestinians what? are not willing to acknowledge that Israel has a right to exist. Well, ordinary Palestinians are. The problem is the Palestinian leadership has mm. taken this really obdurate approach to negotiation from the very beginning. And um, while it didn't seem likely that many of the original um, aspects of the peace treaty between Israel and the Palestinians, which was started in the 1993 Declaration of Principles, at least there was some progress made. But I think the Palestinians are desperately unhappy that Jerusalem is going to be undivided and under Israeli control. They will have a capital east of the city, not not within the Jerusalem municipal domain. So that at least gives them some sort of face-saving clause for their national aspirations. But they're certainly not going to get 
the multitude of things that they want from this deal and simply can't get because of the terms of it. Okay, when we come back, uh, Dr. David Aikman and I are going to talk about um, the spread of the coronavirus, China's response, as well as the world's, well, frankly, health. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, continuing our conversation with Dr. David Aikman, we are going to pivot and we are going to pay some attention here to the coronavirus and um, and what we are what we're looking at. So let me just read a couple of headlines out this morning related to this. Uh, the China death toll related to the coronavirus already exceeds that of the SARS outbreak, um, which would be the you know the most comparable. Um, I think we're using the word epidemic. I do not think we're yet using the word pandemic, but I think the word pandemic is on the horizon. Um, the stocks in in China dropped sharply. They just uh, the Chinese stock market reopened after a holiday, um, and stocks dropped sharply, um, recognizing that the entire well, it's the second largest economy in the world, and it's utterly shut down. Um, as people people who are able to work from home, you know, I suppose we're having a great experiment in in working from home. But many, many, many millions of people, tens of millions of people are not going to work. And when they're not going to work, they are not making the things that other people around the world buy. And they're not buying the things that people around the world make. And so many, uh, many things going on now. Russia has now halted all passenger train service to China um, and so in terms of people's ability to travel, um, it's certainly greatly disrupted. Um, David, I don't know, what's your what's your morning take on the coronavirus? Well, it's had um, it's had consequences that nobody really suggested, nobody really thought of before. For example, the medical staff and nurses in Hong Kong have gone on strike, insisting that the government block all travel between China and Hong Kong because travel from China has been the main possibility of Hong Kong infections rising in the coronavirus. And Carrie Lam, the executive of Hong Kong, is furious with this. But I think this is just another example of how the Hong Kong government has made some silly decisions and made them too late. And the first customers, the first patients who died from the virus died in the Philippines. And now we know that the coronavirus has spread to several other countries. Uh, Two students from China at a university in the north of England, York, were found to be carrying the virus. And they're under strict isolation now. Essentially, anybody coming from China is is at risk of carrying the virus because they may have been infected while they were within China by somebody who's been affected by contact with somebody from Wuhan in Hubei province. And it's a very, very difficult situation where the World Health Organization has finally acknowledged that this is a global uh, risk, 
and is attempting to get everybody on the same page and how to deal with it. But things like trade is clearly going to suffer. I would say world trade is probably going to be down 10%. And because so much of trade, global trade is with China, the real hit is going to be the people who deal with China. So I'm reading now, um, David, that uh, Hong Kong has moved to close all but three of the international border crossings. Um, And so apparently um, there is at least some action on that front. But I think that those medical personnel are basically saying, look, epidemics are contained by borders being closed. And it's it's, it's an ongoing challenge. Um, There are nine confirmed cases in the United States. Anxiety is high at some U.S. airports. Delta, United and American Airlines have all suspended their service um, between the U.S. and China. President Trump has temporarily suspended entry into the United States for any foreign national who has traveled to China. And 195 Americans who were evacuated from Wuhan to California have been quarantined and one of them tried to flee. So I'm just saying, like, it's a... um, it's going to continue to be uh, a challenging story. I think those quarantines are two, week, two weeks long to verify that people, um, you know, are not carrying the virus. That's right, because uh, 85 British citizens were evacuated from Wuhan over the weekend, and they were put into sort of lockdown quarantine status in the north of England in a small town on a, on a riverside. That seems to have worked out fairly well. But my gosh, if you've got people who might be infected and who are escaping from quarantine lockdown, you've got a serious problem because there's no guarantee that the the plague could not flee with the people who flee from, from the um, incubation location. It's very dangerous. And then, of course, we have people like this gentleman from uh, from Britain. He was the first Brit to be diagnosed with the coronavirus, and he has announced that he cured himself with hot whiskey and honey. I don't, I don't even know what to say about that. That's, that's <laughs> very, very attractive. The old guy doing everything hot whiskey and honey. I love that. Um, <laughs> We do have, I know, of course, because the press is reporting on it, there will be people who try that and think it is going to work. We actually do have um, some progress uh, related to related to treatment that's going to be tried. And so the stock for that one company uh, obviously shot through the roof with the prospect of they may actually have a way of uh, of curing it and um, and then preventing the further spread. So there's going to continue to be news um, cycling around this particular this particular topic. Um, go back in time for us, David, and and tell us what we can expect in terms of the development of this story. Um, it's not, uh, you know, it's not as if this is going to be cured today. There will be other cases. There will be more deaths. Um, what prevents the panic? Well, I think there's a very good chance of a reliable uh, vaccine being developed within just a matter of months. I think somehow the Chinese are gradually going to be able to close down their society, and countries nearby are going to keep enough Chinese out to make sure that 
citizens are not panicked within those those locations. So what we need is a degree of isolation in countries that have the virus or have had breakouts of the infection. We need to see a demonstration that those cases have really been effectively isolated. Then we see, hopefully, a development of the vaccine. And in the normal course of events, every plague eventually dies out. Even the Black Death eventually died out. So we're going to see a cessation of the virus, but who knows Who knows how long it will take before that becomes a global phenomenon. That's, that's the real question. David, it's always helpful to have your uh, perspective, not only because it comes from across the pond, but because it spans uh, a number of decades. So thank you so much, as always, for giving us your perspective on the international headline news of the day. Thank you, Carmen, for inviting me on. Have a wonderful week. Hey, keep absolutely keep an eye on, um, you know, your neighbor to the... Do you look east? Is that is that the direction you look toward Britain? Uh, yes, I look toward England across the Irish Sea. Okay, so keep an, keep an eye on them, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, well, more, nec- more well, next week. Thanks, David. Yeah, well, we'll be right back. Yep, bye-bye. Okay, so um, I just got an email from one of our listeners saying, hey, exclamation point, you should be more concerned about the flu than the coronavirus. And with and here's the link. So let me just read a couple of these highlights to you. The CDC estimates that from October the 1st, 2019 through January 25th of 2020, there have been something like 25 million cases of the flu virus here in the United States of America. Something like 10 million uh, medical visits, which means that half of those people didn't go to the doctor. I find that kind of staggering. Um 300,000 hospitalizations and somewhere between 10,000 and 25,000 flu deaths in the United States. That is, I will admit, that's kind of staggering. So the flu uh, is certainly a uh, a threat to the health of those whose immune systems may be otherwise um, compromised, and certainly the young and the old and those with other health issues. So let's, um, let's be careful related to our health and the health and welfare of others. Let's be sure and, you know, just do all of the basic things that we know we're supposed to be doing uh, during flu season to keep ourselves and others safe and healthy. Why should we be concerned about that? Because we love our neighbors. And so who is my neighbor? Well, the one to whom mercy needs most be shown. And so as you are um, taking good care of yourself, let us also be turning and seeking to take good care of the neighbors around us. So who is your neighbor today? Who is the person in your life most in need of mercy? Who is the person in your life most in need of mercy? And how can you um, take them either actual chicken soup or, you know, as the saying goes, a little chicken soup for their soul? Let's, let's, be, let's be thinking about that today. How could we be extending grace to more and more people by simply recognizing who it is around us who needs mercy and then going ahead and being the person who extends that. An act of grace today might change the life of another person and open the door for a spiritual conversation. That's always what uh, I'm encouraged to do and encourage you to do as well. All right, friends, have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.